I'm Matt Sadiso, a musician, songwriter, producer and composer. I also teach. I'm fascinated by process, how we make what we make, why we make what we make. As a musician, I'm always learning from and inspired by other creatives, other musicians, artists, the arts itself, people. In short, life all inform the music I make. And I think that learning from others enriches not only our own art, but the arts. And why holding up the ladder? Well, because we're all trying to get somewhere and I think we build something stronger if we help each other. If we hold up the ladder rather than pull it up from under us as we climb. I'll be talking to all kinds of creatives about process, lessons learned, things that inspire us, the music we're listening to, what makes us who we are and the help we've had along the way. So join me as we climb, holding up the ladder. every day that you get to talk to artists you admire and then they turn out to be even more wonderful in person. I've been listening to the music of today's guest for many years now and every time I listen to it I'm reminded of why I love music from authentic voices. Pura Fey, meaning pure faith, is a musician, songwriter and activist originally from North Carolina but raised in New York. She is in many ways the embodiment of America's rich and complex ancestral history, with her Native American Tuscaroran Indian, African American, specifically Yoruba and Igbo, North Carolinian Scottish Puerto Rican roots, all of which is expressed through her music. And it would be like 34 or 38 hours straight. That's what it says. 38 hours straight, nonstop music. Well, I was very young and I would go and just never leave. So I would just sit there and fall asleep in the pew and then I'd get back up and someone else be playing. And then I'd fall asleep again. So it was just music, 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 music. We talk about growing up in a family with eight generations of singing sisters who sang opera, a mother who sang with the likes of Duke Ellington, how piano legend Thelonious Monk is a relation, about falling asleep at all-night church services where jazz trumpet legend Miles Davis, among many others, would come to play. We talk about her musical education at Lincoln Square Academy in New York and her school friends, actors Lawrence Fishburne and Ben Stiller and Irene Cara who sang the Flashdance song, What a Feeling. We talk about why Pura Fey chose not to sign with Sony and label exec Tommy Mottola, the person who signed and married Mariah Carey or any major record label for that matter. They always wanted you to do things that um, 
just really went against my moral compass. Is that what you call it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I and I, I just couldn't. Um, I really like real music. I love real music, and I like roots music from everywhere. We talk about what is American music, and particularly the story of Native American people and their music. Music that is as wide-ranging and diverse as its many tribes and languages. We also talk about her activist work with Native communities and the sweat lodges and retreats she runs with her husband. They have strong memory. They understand the elements. They understand that water holds the memory of all time. They understand their blood is the same thing. They understand everything like that. They understand creation. So by keeping their culture and their languages and all their practices and, and way to um, be a part of the earth, they know that they are part of it. They're part of the natural world. Mm. And so they have to continue in that way. Purufe lives in a remote rural village in northern Canada with her husband and five children and grandnieces. Pura's family were very much present in our interview, coming in and out of the room, talking, showing me their toys. When it came to editing the interview, I considered cutting out the chatter and movement, but decided to leave it in. Because as I hope you'll discover from our interview, family and community are central to how Purufe creates music. Many cultures don't create music in a studio that's cut off from their daily lives. Instead, music is created with the swirl of family and chatter and childhood indifference to the supposed importance of our work. So I didn't mind, and I hope you don't mind either. For a fay, um, this is a real privilege and treat for me that you agreed to come on today. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been so exciting to research you because I've known a friend introduced me to your music over 10 years ago. I've been listening to your music and, you know, um, I had on the last season, I had a vocal, uh, vocal technician come on and talk about the voice. And I remember him saying, you know, that our voice speaks of who we are. And one of you, I have um, a quote that you said in one of the interviews I read where you said, my ancestral roots, blood lineage and family upbringing is the path and doorway of my music. And I hear all of that in your voice. Oh, that's awesome. I hear it all. And I, I can't wait for people that don't know your music to hear it. So I want to start right from the beginning because your heritage is your musical heritage, your, your, your um, cultural heritage is so rich. You know, you have African-American and Native American and Puerto Rican and Celtic all in this beautiful, delicious <laughs> music. So take me back right to the beginning and how and, and about some of your background and, and how you got into music. Um, well, I was uh, born and raised um, in New York City with my mom's family. And so they, my grandparents come from North Carolina. And um, so we trace back in the Carolinas through the maternal, both my grandparents' maternal sides are native to North Carolina. And their paternal sides are, are mixed up 
um, with like Igbo and Yoruba and um, Scottish um, from the Isle of Skye and Uist. Um, and that alone right there is uh, that union of all those people in the Carolinas is it's pretty strong with a lot of people and uh, and music comes from that that kind of coming together and um basically came you know of course in times of slavery and um so um they migrated north uh, my grandparents and my grandma's six sisters and um, they moved up to New York City during um, the Depression, mm -hmm. 1930s, and they um, settled in Harlem. And my grandparents met each other there. And uh, when it wasn't until many years later, like my cousin and I and some of my other cousins, when we started doing our research, I mean, we heard all these stories for years and years, but when we went back home, we found out that our grandparents are related. <laughs> <laughs> so, and the, the, their families were right across, I mean, literally a road between them. Wow. So they, and then we met all these people and they were all related to our grandparents. Like so many, it was like the layers and layers and layers. And then we met so many people that were, everyone's related there. So, and the, which the music is so, um, like the singing, I found that the singing is so amazing. And we have like generations of like um, banjo players. <laughs> these are the, these, I'm, I, these are hey. my nieces, my grandnieces. Hello. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's pretty much like when I go back into the roots of of home on my mom's side. And, um, you know, I grew up with hearing uh, my mom and her sisters sing mm. together. And um, they studied opera, actually. And um, they also sang with the John Motley Gospel Choir. Wow. And um, that was a beautiful, I remember that very well as a child and um, just sleeping in the pews, listening to that. And um, they also, um, my mom ended up singing with um, um, the Duke Ellington Orchestra for his sacred concert series. Okay. So was that because he has two, he has one from 66 and one from 68. Um, which one was she on? Was she on both of them? I don't think she's on his recordings. Um, maybe she is. I don't think so. She went by the name Nanny's Lund. Mm -hmm. And um, I just have photos of that. I don't have any of the recordings. But I traveled with her a lot um, during those tours. And uh, I remember the old, some of the old guys were still there, the original members like Johnny Hodges. And, and I remember Pooty Williams. And, and I, today I know his niece were good friends. Amazing. <laughs> Williams and, but um, yeah, so that's 
those are some of my beginnings and some of my roots in music. And um, yeah, we knew Duke quite well. My mom was really close to his sister, Ruth. Mm-hmm. And we used to go and eat with her. And later on, she even hired me after I had children. And she hired me to go and sing at um, like homeless shelters with Kenny Burrell. Wow. <laughs> that was, yeah. And uh, George Caldwell, who I ended up being very close with and doing music with, and James McBride. And that's when I stepped into um, meeting them. They um, George played with the Mercer Ellington Orchestra. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I met George. Right. And, um, you know, I started, I, I sang with um, the Duke, no, the Mercer Ellington Orchestra as well. And when I opened for the Duke Ellington School um, in Washington, D.C., Lena Horne was in the second row. Incredible. It really, I was so nervous. I was like 22 years old. I had just had this little baby. And um, she was in the second row. And my microphone didn't work, and she just shouted out from the audience, she goes, go to the other mic. <laughs> and I didn't realize it was her. Someone told me when I got off the stage, that was Lena. I was like, no. So, and um, I met Danny Glover then. Every time I see him at an event, he asked me the same exact question. <laughs> but anyway. Um, that was some of my beginnings, and of course, my mom put me in uh, Broadway plays and commercials so that um, I could pay for my schooling. Wow. Yeah. Was this at Lincoln, because you were at the Lincoln Square Academy, so this is with your cohorters, you know, Ben Stiller (laughs) and Lawrence Fishburne and Irene (laughs) Tara, who sang, isn't it? What a feeling. So this is your cohort, isn't it? Yeah. They, we were all in the same school together. We didn't all hang out together. Mm-hmm. I just remember Larry always teasing Irene. <laughs> <laughs> and she would get really mad. She didn't like that. And, and Gian, Giancarlo Esposito, who I knew. We did some shows together and his brother Vincent and, um, and Irene. The, the four of us did some jingles and stuff like that together. And, some shows, some Broadway shows that didn't, um, that flopped. But um, yeah, so that was that. And that was great. And Stephanie, and um, there was more. There was Kevin Lindsay and Douglas Grant. There was a load of students and we all sang together, did stuff together. And um, like the assemblies were beautiful, you know, there was, Oh, it was packed talent. It was beautiful. So, um, Melanie Henderson, too, I forgot. And um, there was lots, lots of uh, people. Ben, Ben, Benji, we call him Ben Stiller's Benji. And his parents were always, um, they were always there at the school. They were an awesome couple, you know. And um, they were very supportive of all the students. And, um, yeah so yeah so that's that's pretty much the beginnings you know and just um 
my grandmother, a very, um, she's my access pole, mm -hmm. <laughs> grandma. And um, so her teachings, her way, just her way, the way she carried herself. And she's magnificent. She really is. And, um, and she sang and her sister sang. And um, one day um, she overheard uh, some of the music that my cousin and I were doing from you, Lali. Yes. And she heard uh, our drumming. And from where we come from, it wasn't quite that type of music. Um, the native music from uh, in our region is very different. Right. And um, it's very soulful. So, but grandma heard it and she heard us singing with the drums, the tape, and she, and Jen told me, grandma ran up the stairs and she said, and she goes, oh, that sounds so good. <laughs> <laughs> and she goes, we used to sing songs just like that, only we didn't use the drums. She said, we, we used rattles. So right. we turned and we started using rattles and we were trying to get close to the old sound because we lost a lot so so help frame this for me you have eight generations of singing sisters this is on your grandma's side and is your grandma african-american or is she tuscaroran indian she's both i see incredible so you've got these two things happening at the same time and so right. she's hearing your voice yeah and the stuff you're making and at this stage are you singing are you singing Tuscarora music? Are you singing um, native music along with soul music? What's it sounding like at this stage? Um, well, because we were all part of the whole powwow scene, um, we learned how to sing with hand drums. Okay. And um, so it's very much like Plains Indian. And then there's this, um, what they call 49, okay. where um, they sing like in English, mm -hmm. and but with these hand drums, yeah. uh, sort of like round dance, and um, and it's still very kind of plains, and it's still very powwow, um, and um, so we were we were taking that, and using that type of way to start, you know, um, singing songs. But I was with a jazz band. And I took the singer with me, Sunny, who was singing backup. And I said, let's just take these songs that I wrote and put them to a drum and sort of do it like, like 49 style. So these were songs that weren't necessarily like native songs. They were just songs I wrote that I did with the jazz group. But we took it and put it to um, like a 49 style. And that was the beginning of our sound. Wow. And um, to, to my surprise, it ended up becoming a genre, you know? <laughs> so wow. and all that and with the harmony and so forth. But when, when I first went down to North Carolina with my cousins and then we met all these different people and in the native communities there, I think the strongest part of them is their singing. Mm -hmm. And they sing in choruses, and they're very much in the church. But at the same time, they have their own um, type of harmony and their own expression. And it's just so much reminding me of my family. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, oh, duh, you know. <laughs> so, 
So we're just, this is us, you know, so we're a part of this, you know, so it's just the, so um, that all was a part of the music that we were singing, that whole style. Mm -hmm. And also because we we're coming from the coastal peoples with the water and the canoe songs and so much of the call and response as well. And uh, our ceremonial music going way back is call and response. Right. So it, it's, uh, which they call stomp dance. And um, so we just brought everything in and it just, or things just came out mm -hmm. of us and we just, it just was happening. I don't really know how to describe it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you just have to, I mean, you just have to listen to it. I think that is, you, you just have to listen to it. And so this is with the Olali project, isn't it? And you toured, you know, you toured with Baba Mal, Joan Armour Trading, Ben Harper, Miriam McCabe, Ladysmith Black Mambaza, all these Joan Myers. Yes. Well, these are people that we got to meet and, and be on the same bill with them. Fantastic. So, or opened for them. And um, every now and then we might get called up to sing with them. And that was always a big treat if that were to happen. But. And then, so now, you know, you have Ulali, but there's a stage where you sort of not break away, but you're pursuing your own career. Yeah. And, and so you went solo. Yeah. And so this is a very interesting story for me in terms of independent artists and where artists go, because you could have signed Tommy Matola, who was the label exec at Sony, you know, signed Mariah Carey and all the, you could have signed with them. Anita Baker's management, I think you sang with her at some point, they wanted to sign you. Right. Usually that someone's like, oh, you know, this is who I want to go with. You know, I want to be a mega star and so on. But you chose, <laughs> a you know, you chose a different way. Tell me about that process, how you, how you came to not choose that. Um, well, really, they always wanted you to do things that um, just really went against my moral compass. Is that what you call it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, and I, I just couldn't. Um, I really like real music. I love real music. And I like roots music from everywhere. Mm -hmm. So I, and uh, tribal music and real expression. And I've always been I think I was born with a fist in the air. So, <laughs> so it, and the, the commercial music just did not, um, it just wasn't gonna work for me. Yeah. yeah, they wanted me to do things that were just so um, against my, and without any creative um, control, 
Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and there were some that wanted to dress me up in like, you know, some strange outfits. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, oh, no, I'm not going there. So, <laughs> so that that was basically what um, what changed me. And I got tired of singing uh, jingles and, and just doing all that work, that studio work. It was, I mean, it was good and it paid me some, mm -hmm. but I wanted to jump into music like yeah. creating mm -hmm. and one day I just started playing piano mm -hmm. and I didn't even know I could play I just wow. started playing so um and it's the same with the guitar I had no idea how to play I just picked it up and just started playing mm -hmm. so um yeah and so that's it that that was for me I could I hadn't uh that was what I wanted you know and to work with other musicians so Fantastic. So, and then you, you have, I mean, I'm looking at your, some of your albums here and I think it's interesting, you know, just based on what you've said, you know, you have an album called Caution to the Wind. Yeah. That's James's music, really. Okay. James McBride. Okay. He's the one that wrote The Color of Water. That's right. James. So um, that he wanted me to, he was the one that I met who wrote the song Good Enough. Mm -hmm. that Anita Baker um, okay. took and put on her album. She did a few others. I did a bunch of demos for her. And so that album is very different than what I would do. So that's why it's so different. So when does it feel, because you've got, when does it feel like this is Pura Fey, this is my music, this is what I'm wanting to do? Which, which records really start for you started to really feel like your voice? Um, well, they all do, you know, because I'm never in one place. Mm -hmm. Um, there's just too many things I like and, and I still haven't reached over that. I mean, like I still haven't gotten to do my funk album. So <laughs> just before I get too old and I can't do a split, but um, <laughs> I want to be able to get out there and do a, a really, I've always wanted to do an album with Tower of Power. Amazing. Um, or that type of, yeah, because I love that. I love it. And I've had not had a chance to do that yet. But, um, I mean, I do like the album. I do like, um, I love working with Rhiannon Giddens and she's on the Full Moon Rising album. Beautiful so, record. Thank you. Those pieces with her and the foot stomping and the banjo and that to me is so much, I felt like we were in another, when, when we sat down together, I felt like we were in another time zone. Mm. And as I looked at her and I was like, she's just like, another one of me uh, like a, a kin from a long time ago <laughs> so and and there was no rehearsal it just happened mm -hmm. so it was like that so that type of music is um and you know after i i sent you stuff she contacted me and i was just like oh this is crazy yeah. so <laughs> well you know so, sorry finish what you're saying go no, ahead no, no. No, no. Because Rhiannon Giddens was in Carolina Chocolate Drops. That's how I heard about her. And she, it's really interesting because also, you know, she talks about 
American music and, and in indigenous music and, you know, the origins of the banjo, the African banjo and, and the sound. And, and there is in the same way that it, it's interesting because you talk about when we talk about activists, um, there is this, I love what you say that you're almost just continuing what your ancestors always did and your music naturally for me anyway, is activism because of what you're saying, the instruments you're using, how you're saying it. And I think Rhiannon Giddens in many ways is doing the same thing with what she's doing. Um, yeah. For me, it's, I mean, for me, it's a history lesson. It's, yeah. it's not just sound. It's, and, and again, you know, when I, I want to talk about your voice because when I hear your voice, I, I was chatting with a friend of mine, like I say, who's a vocal coach and you know, in this day and age, there are fantastic singers everywhere, like really great singers. I think you know, perhaps because we've had so many TV shows, you know, vocal TV shows, there are great singers everywhere, but there aren't singers that make the hair on your arm stand on end. There aren't singers where you hear their story and their journey and the sound of their voice. And for me, your voice is like that. Ooh, Truly. Thank you. Yeah, I, I mean, I truly, truly, I absolutely love it. And I, I want you to talk to me a little bit about your, your singing process. I guess if you just grown up around singing, you just know how to sing. Um, but are you someone that had singing lessons? Are you someone that thinks about how you want to sing? Or is it this instinctive thing that just comes out? Um, yeah, it, well, I mean, well, my mom, you know, she she trained me but um the training part of it i i didn't like okay. <laughs> just like i'll never forget i came home i said well i don't want to sing like that i want to sing like aretha franklin and my mom was just like ah! you know she's the opera singer right so uh -huh. she <laughs> and so and irene when i met irene um that was it, you know, and we were harmonizing and I was learning a lot from her. Mm -hmm. And so it was like unleashed. I unleashed all the, 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 um, the training. So, and for me, when you grow up in a family and where they're all singing in harmony, mm -hmm. you know, and like every time the family had a gathering, we sang together. Right. And right, it was yeah. just like a room full of like, it's just huge all there for you we had went out on the porch in christmas time we're at grandma's house and we were all on the porch singing and cousins and uncles and aunties and everybody mm. and all this someone opened up their window and they said shut up <laughs> <laughs> so so for me it's like it's like talking and my mom said that i sang before i could talk wow so she said she would always hear me when she was vocalizing at the piano and practicing. She would hear me in the in the back room in my crib thinking I was sleeping, she said. And then all of a sudden I would do what she was doing. Amazing. <laughs> so and then and she would sing um even in concerts or whatever, and I was in her arms. Incredible. So or I'd be 
there with her sisters and I hear them all singing together or the John Motley choir or um, one of my most vivid memories was um, at St. Peter's Gate Church uh, in, in New York City on the east side. And um, my mom and her sisters were part of um, John Gensel's church and um, it was called the Jazz Church. Right. So people like Miles Davis and um, would always come and play. And um, Billy Strayhorn and Ola Tunji. And he would have once a year called All Soul Night. And it would be like 34 or 38 hours straight. That's what it says, 38 hours straight, nonstop music. Well, I was very young and I would go and just never leave. So I would just sit there and fall asleep in the pew and then I'd get back up and someone else be playing. And then I'd fall <laughs> so it was just music, 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 music. And so, um, training that's my training my training was just being around um all the different musicians and singers i'm nowhere like jacob collier but <laughs> <laughs> most people aren't like jacob collier <laughs> no <laughs> but but i can relate to um you know being a child around music and musicians mm -hmm. That's fantastic. And I guess it all just seeps yeah. in, doesn't it? But yeah. I, I would love to um, ask you to sort of teach me a little bit about Native American singing. Okay. So, for example, you know, like at the end of My People, My Land, your song, you have the, the singing at the end. Yeah. yeah. And it's something that I've heard many times. And I'd love you to talk to me a little bit about what it means uh, and and why because i've heard that sound many times and i just want to sort of understand it a little bit more if that makes okay. sense sure well I mean, there's so many different regions mm -hmm. and so many different tribes and styles of music yeah. and um but that in particular i'm using a round dance beat that's okay. cree 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 people and they're from the north Mm -hmm. like I'm living in it right now this yeah. is not where my family's from but this is their territory here and um they have um they use they're real drum people in fact they have those origin stories where uh, drums really came through the women um and today it's a very patriarchal thing and that a lot of places not all but a lot of the tribes really shun the women that sit down at a big drum or use drums and um ULE really helped to revolutionize like that whole movement there's so many women now that sing with drums because we, we really changed that but even though I don't come from a drum tradition um you know hand drumming has just become something that's um everybody you know, pretty much anyone in every tribe um, because of powwow and some of these things which um, bridge all these different tribes. One of the, one of the um, um, gatherings, right, that's even competition 
and they have specific dance and song type categories. Um, and they all come out of the Plains, um, Plains Indian War Dance. And, um, but through the years now, more things are being added from different regions in, in power competition. So the hand drum that we use and those type of songs, round dance songs, um, are they're, they're more like, they're social. They're social songs mm -hmm. and, um, and they're happy songs. Um, and they're, they're for dancing together in a round. Um, so, I mean, that's part of what that is. And um, yeah, and a lot of times there's no words. There's just what they call vocables. Yeah. Would you demonstrate just a little bit of how that sounds? Sure. I like that. There's no, yeah. there's no words. It's mm -hmm. just, um, and each you can tell like different tribes have their own type of, of vocables and their own kind of rhythms and so forth. So, and and you always hear them say like people will always tell you or remind you that we sing straight songs, meaning there's no words in them, that these are coming straight from the heart. Okay. So they're, they're spirit. Mm -hmm. So it's like spirit song, spirit connection. Mm. You know, so it's not, um, doesn't have words to it, but it could be an honor song, you know, a song specifically for something, even though that no words to it. And so I always like to ask people, I mean, I think you've already spoken already into it, but what or who inspires and informs your work, your music, that what that, that which you're creating? Oh, everything. Um, <laughs> <laughs> everything and everybody. Um, well, of course, the first would be my own family. Mm. Um, my, my grandma. And, um, well, you know, I grew up, hearing a lot of Motown in our family's house, you know. I mean, they all sang opera, but they listened to Motown. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that alone right there, that was a big um, uh, influence. And um, it wasn't always singers. Mm. Sometimes it was, um, like, for many years, I just listened to guitars. And I loved blues guitars, and I liked fusion music mm -hmm. um i listened to a lot of fusion and i listened to a lot of um yeah i listened to guitars i was very much into um i listened to a lot of jeff beck mm -hmm. and um and um paco de lucia oh my god i can't even think right now but there were so many people um, that I listened to more than singers. It was mostly wow. guitars and bass, bass players. I was a 
really loved Stanley Clark and I loved Mark King and uh, Jaco Pastorius. Mm. And yes, yeah, so those are. That's so interesting because I know you play the lap slide, the lap steel guitar, isn't it? Yeah. And your one of your records, I want to, yeah, Hold the Rain. Uh-huh. It, it's in, because the guitar is very, the guitars are very forward in the mix, you know? Yeah. And it made me think of, um, I mean, I'm a huge Joni Mitchell fan. Oh, yeah. You know, um, and even um, Alana Davis. There are certain people that just made me think of that kind of, because you're, you do, it's not sometimes, you know, with, with singers, the voice is at the front and everything is behind in the mix. Mm. It's all together. Yeah, ah, I'm so glad you said that. Well, <laughs> I had to fight with the label. Wow. Yeah, I had to see? fight with the label. I, I, and uh, they wanted me to be up front. I'm like, no. Are you kidding? I was like, listen to all of these people on this mix here. It's like, that's so retarded, I thought. It's just like, why would I drown them out with my voice when it was meant to be like that? Mm. And um, yeah, and even in the song um, on the Full Moon Rising album, the song "Red, Black, and Blues." That's one of my favorites. Oh my god! I don't I'm know anyone gonna... that likes my music. <laughs> yeah, I love it. No, honestly, Red, Black, and I have it. I have it. You know, I listen to it. Well, it's seventy-eight tracks. Wow. Yeah, me and um, Danny Godinez and Farco. The three of us just sat there and mixed the mess out of that. We had a ball. Yeah. So, yeah. I like, I like music, like instruments. Trade of these stolen people from these very stolen lands. Was a stolen tribal trade connection song in half Santa sang. Red and black shed the trade waters 10,000 years long before. Anglo Spanish slave ships learned the magic current flow shore to shore. Ancestral path wind songs followed stars, sun, and moon. Map crossed these waters to the boss for the red, black, and And you know there is unfortunately it hasn't come out here in London, uh, the UK. But that film Rumble, the Indians that rock the world, that you're on. Oh yeah. It's all about how you know Native Americans have influenced blues and rock and roll. You know what is it? Jesse Ed Davis, Link Ray. You know this was their sound. Yeah. And, and again, just to refer to Rhiannon Giddens, there was something she said that was so powerful. Um, she was just talking about American music and she was saying, but American music is, it's indigenous people, it's African-Americans, it's Celtics, it's Europeans, it's all of this smush of all these people that brought right. their instruments, that brought their sound. And that's what makes American music because everybody is hearing something of themselves in this right. music, right. you know? So rock and roll is you know it is everything that came before it you know mm. and that's why it's so powerful and 
and why it's so important to understand you know where this music comes from it doesn't just arrive it never just arrives it's always come from somewhere right I and mean, that's what we were our part of the film was trying to demonstrate that mm. that sound and and that porch that we're on where we're performing is um, my grandfather's um, his his grandma lived there and that was on the monk plantation like as in like Thelonious monk oh, wow. like his, yeah so his my grandfather and Thelonious would be double cousin like second double cousins okay. like their grandmothers and grandfathers were brothers and sisters amazing so on that plantation um and and grandma's the different that whole area is called Sampson county there was um the lee plantation which is my grandma's um grandfather and his brothers mm. they they are they were evil mm. yeah they were evil their grandparents were straight from there and came and then so my grandmother's grandfather's grandparents right? <laughs> like that mm -hmm. so all of them played banjos Okay. They played all of that, and um, they played for every function in Sampson County and on all the plantations. And a lot of them ended up, they, those Igbo men were marrying Tuscarora women. <laughs> that's how it happened. And, um, and that's, so we were trying to recreate, you know, this, this like sound and um, that song, Great Grandpa's Banjo, is for my grandmother's grandfather, Boyet uh, Lee, who played banjo. So, um, yeah, so we were trying, we've been, and that's the project. I think Rhiannon, after I wrote you, she she wrote me. And I was just like, say what? <laughs> <laughs> so it looks like we're going to jump into that. Fantastic. We're going to like uncover that. and. Um, yeah because it needs to be told again and again in the right way yeah you said something in your interview that i really would love you to expand upon because it really resonated with me you said it is important to protect the indigenous people of the world because they protect the earth yeah and i found that such a profound statement and i'd love you to just expand on how they protect the earth well they protect the earth because they know their purpose mm -hmm. their purpose and their they remember the beginnings they remember the stories of seeding the earth and they remember all that goes along with the seeding of the earth and the stars and the star people and all that was given to them um, they remember that they remember their their they have strong memory they understand the elements they understand that water holds the memory of all time they understand their blood is the same thing they understand 
everything like that. They understand creation. So by keeping their culture and their languages and all their practices and, and way to um, be a part of the earth, they know that they are a part of it. They're part of the natural world. Mm. And so they have to continue in that way. And I think pretty much all indigenous people seem to have the same beliefs like that. Mm. And, um, and, they, and they know that if we were to stop doing these things, then everything would subside, would, would, would vanish. Mm. And uh, the protection of the earth would be gone. That's what I mean by, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's profound. That's, that's profound. I know that you live in a, on a, is it on a reservation in Saskatchewan? Yeah, it's like a village. A village, yeah. And I, and I know you run sweat lodges and you do yeah. lots of work to do with um, healing. And I'd just love you to talk to me a little bit about how that works and some of, you know, some of how you do that. Um, well, it's real simple. I mean, it's like, it's, it's not uncommon. Um, in some places it is only because of the, the how the church uh, ruled everything out. Mm -hmm. And um, so almost all these villages up here really endured uh, incredible cultural genocide with um, the residential schools right. where they were beaten and raped and everything you can imagine and um, just took the language and took just everything and so you have a lot of people today that are that think that our traditional or old cultural ways mm. are are evil right, right. you know mm -hmm. so um other pockets um aren't so bad but mm -hmm in this area it's like they really did a job on these people right right, so, right um but um max and i both um my husband and i we we run we have a sweat lodge of our own mm -hmm. and uh, and we have to sweat i mean for us it's just a part of it's a way of life um mm -hmm. and basically it's just um it's like you're sitting in something that's really dark Mm -hmm. inside you can't see and the reason why is so that you can see wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so you know we're using this you know and and our spirit connection and um you know and you're using water you're using fire you're mm -hmm. using rocks and we know that that's memory right mm. um, it's healing and uh, the medicinal part of the rocks and and the water all that so we just you know we get in the lodge and we pour water on hot rocks and we sing and we connect and we focus and we go beyond that place we connect with everything and it's just very healing it's mm. like a, a bath for the mind body and soul yeah that's amazing well i was watching a documentary about dennis banks Mm -hmm. and the aim movement and 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 some of the stuff you were saying and it's it is a it's it's a lot of trauma <laughs> it really really is a lot of trauma and people have to have space to process this stuff and space to heal so you know it's powerful and vital 
what you're doing you know yeah it doesn't end either it's like they keep they keep finding ways to i mean we have a horrible situation with foster care like they're constantly taking children you know and the the newest thing is now they're like taking them from the mother in in the hospital when she gives birth they're just taking these children and uh and saying whether it's true or not saying well she's she's on meth so and they just grab these kids so we've got a real um yeah it's it's a drag you know and the the drugs are really rampant here it's so hard and um, so the lodge is really important and more and more people are beginning to come and um so and and we do retreats like we we run with underneath another woman we have a team of really special people and we've put together um like a week a one week type of healing program so yeah and music is so you know all the arts all of that it's like it's so important yeah you know especially now (laughs) so tell me i always like to ask people what are some of the lessons that they have learned that we could learn from i i used to say mistakes but that suggests that it's something we've done wrong sometimes lessons lessons are just lessons so are there any lessons that you have learned that we could learn from in your musical journey oh um yeah don't be afraid don't be afraid to um you know try everything um don't be afraid to ask people to join you or don't be afraid to live right don't be afraid to make music i I think i mean that i think people um it just just follow your heart Mm. i think following your heart is really important and um anyone can make music now anyway you know we have the tools you have the internet and um you can market yourself you can whatever it is that you want whether it's for profession or whether it's for just your own personal or whether it's for healing or just you know music is its own language Mm. so um i don't know what else to say I probably do have something in there, but I don't know what it is right at this moment. (laughs) Well, that was plenty. No, that was good. To not be afraid is plenty, you know? When when are we going to hear new music from you? It might be with Rhiannon, looks like. But, um, um, yeah, um, I think... um, I've never learned how to record with my computer and I just got some equipment. It's coming. Fantastic. And so, and I, and I met a, an absolute geek in the village. <laughs> so he's going to show me how to work. And so I'm going to start recording. And um, I think the next body of music is going to be canoe songs. And um, yeah. and so, what are canoe songs? Just for us who don't know, how do what are canoe songs? Um, they are sung really with like many voices together, um, or at least that's the way I like to hear it. I want to hear like big harmony and uh, every range, every octave. 
and um, their melodies and there's always the rhythm is not necessarily the drum but it's the people um doing the call and response mm -hmm. to keep everyone in in time but these canoe songs are going to be named for the different um rivers back home and um the different tribes that traveled and um so i'm going to try and maybe get uh, some language in there from the different um different languages i'm supposed to do this back home in north carolina mm -hmm. with, with the people from the area where my family's from yeah you know, i've been seeing these canoe songs for some time and i've sung them in different areas different um, I, even hawaii i was over there last year and sang these songs but um when i got home to my own community and I showed them the songs, they just sang them right back to me as if they've been singing them all their life. And I was just like, wow, Gene Pool, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so um, I was gonna do the album with them, but with this whole situation now, I can't. So I'll probably just do it on my computer and maybe if I can figure out how to add them to the recording. You can. Yeah. They just have to sing it where they are and send it to you. Okay. So it's definitely possible. It's definitely yeah. possible when it's vocal. My last question, what music are you listening to at the moment? Well, actually, I've been listening to some James Brown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have been. But I've also been watching a lot of Chadwick Boseman mm. and just watching his amazing performances mm. as James Brown. And I'm just, yeah, yeah. I, and I just, it's... Oh my God. I mean, I don't mean to go there, but in a sense, like what I'm listening to is, um, I guess I'm trying to celebrate his departure in some way. And the music um, is, is taken. Yeah, I know. I didn't even know the person, but it was so for him. I mean, it was such a profound, um, when I saw the Black Panther, it just, it was like it was like when Obama won. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's just so so um yeah. I've been listening to all kinds of soundtracks lately and um 
and really actually it's brought me into because you if you're on youtube one thing will take you to another place right mm -hmm. and so um it it really has been taking me back into like my own family's <clears throat> musical roots you know so um yeah so i'm beginning to study more mm -hmm. about um different tribal music and i just yeah that's something that I don't know why that's just like soothing me. Mm. Just like there's a part of me feels so wounded, but um, in this whole time, and uh, I'm so far away from my own folks. Mm. I'm up here in the north, and and I love them there. You know, I'm missing grandma, and I'm missing just a part of another part of my culture. And it's so far away. So I'm listening to that kind of music. Uh, <laughs> to make you feel like you're home. Yeah. yeah. Or just like I need to stuff that hole right now. So, <laughs> you know, so, yeah. Pura Fey, as your name means pure faith. Yeah. Thank you for your purity and the purity that you brought your authenticity it's been a very fantastic interview and i now have to go and listen back to some more of your music thank you so much for sharing it was really wonderful thank you thank you very much this is very kind you know that <laughs> it's so kind it really is it's very young thank you we'll do the best to take on the sorrow of lovers how far the world in the only heaven knows What is the cost that no one falls Who takes the blow There's a place in time will show What is meant for yours to hold yeah. Is there any reason to say no I guess what is known in town Thank you so much to Pura Fey for her generosity and openness and also her joy. You know, the more I reflect on our interview, the more I realise that Pura Fey's music is in many ways also perhaps the story of America. It's the story of displaced and misplaced and enslaved people. It's about resistance and persistence, about hope and pain and healing. It's anthropological, it's historical, it's about finding and knowing your voice. It's personal, it's universal, it's human, and for me, it's incredibly beautiful. So please be sure to check out more of Purifay's music wherever you listen to music. Go to her website, follow her on Instagram. Details can be found in the podcast blurb. Holding Up the Ladder is available on numerous platforms, including Acast, SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher and Deezer. Please share, like, subscribe to the podcast, leave comments. If you'd like to donate, you'll see a link in the podcast blur below. And you can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Holding Up the Ladder, hashtag H-U-T-L.
Next week, I'll be talking Japanese art, the need for stillness and slowing down, and culture care with artist, arts advocate and writer Makoto Fujimura. Um, this, this is how most of us <laughs> experience life. We, we go through brokenness. And what to do about that, you know, is, 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 is the, re the result of a Western, you know, mindset that has created this uh, pressure to be perfect and to, you know, if you're broken, you fix it as if so that nobody knows, right? But this Japanese way of healing is so, uh, Japanese way of mending is so healing because you know, no, you accentuate the fractures. You value your fractures. You, in fact, uh, you know, one of the Kintsugi um, path is to hold the fragments and behold the fragments for a long time before you try to mend it. And um, if you learn to do that, and if you can see the fragments, broken pieces as beautiful, then the work can begin to understand what this generative potential of your piece can bring to your own life. Until next time.